These days, your calendar is supercharged and you find yourself having to pencil in when you need to breathe. As we're always moving and grooving between our offices, homes, studio, and out, we could all take some moments to spend time and hear from our faves and pop culture on what they're up to and how they keep it together as well. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith, a celeb fashion stylist, co-founder and creative style director of Athleisure Mag, co-executive producer and host of a number of shows in our multimedia podcast network, Athleisure Studio. When you plug into Punglo SK, you'll get to hang out with those that, regardless of their background, are juggling their busy lives and have words of empowerment to keep us motivated throughout our day. On today's episode of Bungalow SK, we talk with one of our cover girls from our second issue back in 2016, Emily Tyra, who was our favorite actress on Stars, Flesh, and Bone, as well as on CBS's Code Black. We talk about how she got into entertainment, her ability to sing, dance, and act, as well as her movie Harpoon that was on the festival circuit last year. We also talk about her ceramic brand, Rare Bird. met back in 2016 when you were our second cover of Athleisure Mag, and you were our first celebrity cover. At the time, you were in Stars, Flesh, and Bone, which I truly enjoyed watching. You also joined the cast of Code Black, which I am also obsessed with. Just those two shows alone showcase so many talents of yours from being able to sing, dance, as well as to act. You're a woman that does it all. When did you realize that you wanted to be an entertainer? Yeah, you know, Kimmy, it's funny because I I sort of look back on my, I guess, body of work at this point in my career and go, people must think I'm insane. I've done like so many different types of things. Um, But honestly, I'm one of those people that's just um, artistically inclined. Like this is what I'm good at. I'm good at, um, I'm good at dancing. I'm good at singing. I'm good at acting. I'm good at art. I'm good at making things. I'm, this is where my, my sort of skill set lies. And in order to, to make it happen, um, in that skill set and make a career happen, you kind of have to be open to every single opportunity. Um, so I don't know that necessarily this is all my choice. Um, I'm the kind of person who says yes to an opportunity if it feels like something I'm interested in and, um, and, and is a challenge for me. So code black kind of came out of nowhere. Um, actually the, the showrunner of code black was a fan of mine from flesh and bone, which was so crazy. And he was kind of, um, hell bent on getting me on the show. And so when they got picked up for their second season, I, um, I got a script in my email and I did one tape, um, at ABC casting out in New York. And that was like, that was it. I was on a plane like 36 hours later. (laughs) And, um, and then I never went back to New York. In looking at your Instagram, I know you were at the Rotterdam film festival promoting your new film Harpoon that you star in. Tell me more about the film. Yeah, Yeah, it was, um, the, the movie is super fun. I, uh, it, it's just three actors. Um, it's sort of a tale of friendship, but in sort of a, um, a cross genre film setting. So it's, I guess I would say it's, it lands somewhere between like thriller horror and, um, comedy. So it's like a very, very dark comedy. Um, the tone of it, like it just, it wants you to laugh. Um, and so, you know, all of the things that are sort of intense about it actually, sort of, I don't know, it's, it's a really interesting film. Um, and when we went into it, uh, we shot this about 
a little over a year ago, um, and we shot half of it in Calgary, and the exterior shots were in Belize. It was a sort of wild, like, film adventure, you know, um, a young filmmaker um, from Canada, and, you know, I got I got the offer and was just like, okay, sounds fun, it'll be an adventure, and we really had no idea what we were making reads like a play. Um, so we spent a lot of time rehearsing and sort of going through the physical beats of the whole thing. And it's just the three of us. So that's a a real challenge as a director and as an actor on, on our end to make sure our audience wants to stick with us, just the three of us in one room essentially for an hour and a half. Um, and I think it, it comes off really well. We, um, we premiered at Rotterdam. People loved it. We sold out almost every screening, including some, they, they have huge theaters. They're like 500, 600 seats. And we, we sold out our screenings. So we were really proud about that. How important is it for a movie to be on the film circuit? And as an actor, what is your role in it when you are promoting the film at these events? Yeah, I think um, the, the festival circuit is sort of amazing. I, I'm not super familiar with it. Rotterdam was my first film festival that I was in a, in a film participating. Um, and because I've been in the, in the theater and TV world up until this point. And what I'm realizing is that these festivals are such a amazing community of, of filmmakers and everybody involved in film. And they sort of, um, help facilitate the life of a movie. And, um, and they're really important for low budget films like ours, um, that wouldn't necessarily have the power to get seen if these festivals weren't welcoming young developing artists and like, um, allowing a platform for that. So my, um, my role in, in this is, is sort of up to me, honestly, the choice to go to Rotterdam. Um, the producers, of course, they, they want you to be present and, and be a part of the promotional process, but I wanted to go out and support this film because I think it's really good. And, um, so obviously, if there's ever you know any premiere, I I will do my very best to be there because I think it's a team effort. You know, we we sort of built this thing together, and we want to see it through so that you know ultimately more and more people can see what we did. So it's fun. <laughs> it's really fun to be a part of. Very different than TV. So when you're in the midst of pilot season, what are three things that you like to have with you that gets you through those days? Mm. Let's see. Um, uh, well, first of all, positive attitude. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, water and, and a snack. I mean, it's basically just like your game face and like whatever physical, you know, other things that you need and, um, chapstick. I, I don't know why I say that, but like, you, you know, you're, you're going from audition to audition and it's whatever, and you're nervous or this and that. So I get my, just my lips get chapped and I got to, <laughs> moisture so there's nothing more distracting than to see someone who has really dry lips it makes you wonder if they hurt or if they're just really itchy and you're like don't you need some lubrication there I know so (laughs) so yeah I mean pilot season is interesting because it's changing a lot now you know with uh streaming platforms and stuff so it's a little bit of a different game it's not as crazy as it used to be um which is nice because it's, you know, there's an enormous amount of pressure around this whole season. And I kind of like that everything is being redistributed and content is sort of shifting a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been good and busy. I've read some things that were really interesting and then some things that were not so interesting. Um, and yeah, I, it's, it's fun. It's a good time to like be out and about. And it's my first pilot season being available in LA. So it's been, um, fun, fun for me. 
Yeah, you can't actually, it's a contract issue. So, um, you know, the fortunate thing about being a series regular and on any show is that you have sort of job security and, um, but you have a, um, you know, non-compete, you know, situation where you, you're not, um, technically allowed to actually, you're not even allowed to do more than a three episode arc on another show unless the network approves you to go and do that. So, yeah, so it's sort of confining in terms of, you know, there, there are definitely like actors out there that you see all the time on like many different shows and they just go around and kind of bop from guest star to guest star. And that's never really been my thing. I, you know, I've been really fortunate to sort of land and sit on these shows where I get to play out, um, an arc over a couple of seasons, but, um, so even if it's meant to be for only one season, there is that potential that you could be locked in for five or six seasons. Right. Yeah. You're, you're sort of locked in. So, you know, even flesh and bone, I think we maybe talked about this when I did athleisure. Um, they, yeah, it's, you know, it's a six year commitment up front, and you don't know what's going to happen with it. So, and I think after that first season of flesh and bone, I, I was like, I would have, um, a second season I would have had to really, really gear myself up for cause it was physically really demanding to do that role. You know, I remember watching the show and just thinking about the mental as well as physical elements of the show and wondering how many takes you had to go through to get what we saw. When we had Pooch Hall from Ray Donovan as our cover for June 2018, we had the chance to hang out on his set, which was in Harlem, and they were filming this particular scene that after watching it, it's literally three minutes. But being on set, it took all day to get all the angles and all the redoing of it, resetting the frames and all these other different types of stuff. It was pretty intense to watch it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's I know. I think anybody who has the opportunity to go to set and like see how this all happens is um, you should do it because it's it's it, yeah. And people think, oh my God, I'm going to go to set. It'll be so exciting and fun. And actually after like the first hour, people mostly are like, oh, I'm bored <laughs> because you're watching the same thing happen over and over. It's a very like tedious process to get everything that you need to make this story cut together and appear the way that it appears to you. So it's an art. What is your process when it comes to you deciding to take on a project? Is it about the timing or the way that you connect to the character? I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, um, you know, I think also as, as I'm getting older in my career and there, I had to have different priorities in terms of choosing. And, um, you know, when I was younger, I would have done anything. They would have been like, you're going to go shoot in, you know, Guatemala tomorrow. And I'd be like, great. And now I'm sort of like, I don't know if I want to go and live in Atlanta for, you know, six months out of the year, <clears throat> it would be an adventure, but it would be a choice. And so, um, yeah, that, that factors in. Um, and then mostly I, I'm a very like instinctual person. So I have to have like a real strong gut instinct that like, I'm, I'm meant to explore this character and I'm, I'm meant to do this. And, um, because it, yeah, every time you take uh, a job and, and an opportunity, you, you miss out on per perhaps something else. And so, you know, I try to just follow my instincts as much as possible because this is all a very gray area, all of show business and entertainment in general. A few weeks back, I happened to be at a press dinner and I was scrolling through Instagram as we were waiting for more people to arrive and I saw these ceramics. I say this as I sit my lucky, lucky seven tumbler that you just sent to me from your line. I'm a huge fan of pottery, whether it's from anthropology, pottery barn. I love all that stuff. Then I realized that this was your line. When did you decide to get into pottery and then say to yourself, I'm going to add ceramicists to my talents? 
Yeah. So this is like the craziest thing. I, you know, I wish I could tell you that I like decided one day to do this. I honestly, um, Adam, um, got me a gift card to go and take a, a pottery class, um, for my, my birthday. Yeah. It was a couple of years ago that he got me this, um, gift card, but we ended up using it, um, just to like, I mean, it's last summer. Um, and we went and took this class and, you know, I had been like, we had code block had just gotten canceled. We had gone on a really um, incredible vacation, um, to Europe and he proposed and it was like this whole like thing. And I got, we got back to LA and I didn't have like an outlet and I'm, I'm so, um, creative. I have to have some place to put all of this energy that comes out of my body. It's just like, you know, and, um, I had gone back and like started taking dance classes and I, I don't know, I just was trying to find a place to put all of this. And so we went and took this class and I immediately was like, Oh my God, I have to do this all the time. Like I just, I, whatever, I just had this like instinct, you know, that like this was something I just needed to keep doing. And the studio that we took class at, offers memberships. So you can go there 24 hours a day. You can throw pots, you can hang out 24 hours a day. It's like anytime fitness of pottery, basically. So, um, this is insane. That would never happen in New York. No, I mean, yeah, I don't know. It was so, um, I was just like, really, there's no limits here for me. I can just show up and be creative and do something and like touch dirt basically it's so um grounding and amazing so uh i started um my membership and i i went over there and i i went over there like with every minute of free time i had i was like over at the studio and it's within walking distance of my my home and so i was able to like you know easily justify like well i'll just swing by the studio and like throw a bowl um but i got so obsessed with it because and i, and I couldn't really figure out why i was taking to it so hard until i i started thinking about it um i you're actually, when you're, when you're throwing pottery on the wheel, to me, it's the same, um, physics brain function that I was using when I was doing ballet. I know it sounds crazy, but I was, I really thought this through and I was like, I think this is why I'm good at this and why I'm taking to it is because there's like a centrifuge force and you're, you're negotiating and controlling gravity and mass and, when you're dancing, you know, you're creating negative space and you're giving a, you know, shape for the eye to see this, this moving shape and throwing uh, pottery is also a physical movement, but instead of negative space, you're filling it with clay. Yeah, I know. So it's like this crate and it's very physical. You're actually using all of your body weight, your body positioning, everything. It's sort of this, um, choreographed technique that allows this to, to actually happen. And I just like got so obsessed with it and I started making this stuff. And, and then suddenly, you know, I would like post a picture of it on Instagram and somebody would be like, Hey, I want to buy that. Are you selling that? And so then I would start making more of the things that I was, and I, I didn't realize that there's this whole industry of, um, of artisans who are, they're called production potters and they just hand make like, 17,000 mugs and they're all exactly the same. And as soon as I discovered that I had the ability to make something more than once and have it look almost identical, I was like, okay, I can, I can do this. And so then I had a a friend who owns a a wine bar here in LA reach out and be like, Hey, your work is so cool. We'd love to do a pop-up for you. And I was like, are you crazy? So it sort of happened by accident. And, um, and I, I just 
been loving it. I love design. I love the um, functionality of everything. Um, because to me, you know, I, I love art just as, as much as anything else, but I like that, um, ceramics you you touch and you use for something specific every day and it doesn't just sit on a shelf or it doesn't just hang on your wall um it's not just aesthetic it's also like something that feeds you or you know um and so i have had just the best time sort of thinking about like hand feel and like how is the weight of this and why is this important and and why are we drawn to a certain thing for a certain function and what works well about a wide bowl and you know so to me that sort of architecture meeting the design meeting the function is like so fun for me i love the idea of handmade items readers and listeners know that in my styling whether it's in the magazine or other projects i've taken on I love when you have these handcrafted jewelry pieces that are hammered out and, you know, it just really has this really earthy feel to it. And it brings a tone and texture and a visual texture that is just so amazing. What I love about your pieces is that in addition to the fact that I know they're handmade, they're thrown on a wheel, the design itself reminds me of negative space that you would find in nail art. And those who also know me know that I actually never wear nail art. I'm always like a monochromatic color person, but I love the aesthetic of it. And the fact that it's in your pieces really draws me to it. Where did you come up with the name for your ceramic brand? Um, so I, my, my very best girlfriend, um, who I miss so much, she still lives back in New York and, um, she is like a bird. She loves birds and she, is like a bird watcher. She'll go up to Inwood Hill Park and like watch birds. And she knows all of the native, you know, birds that live up there. And, and she, and we were um, hanging out. I was in New York visiting, um, a few months ago and she just said like, she was like, Oh, Emily, in my dream last night, I saw a rare bird. And, and she like, you know, continued on her story. But I just thought to myself, that's such a beautiful combination of words and something that only she would say. Well, obviously I could continue forever about loving the pieces. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, my God. But what I love even more or equally as much is the fact that you have amazing branding and I love the cardstock. I'm a huge cardstock freak. I love paper quality. I love fonts. I love all those things. I got the business card and I was like, yes, I know this is going to be good because the card itself is just amazing. And it totally works in tandem with the pieces that you create. You get a lot of business cards, and I don't know how many millimeters this card is, but it is thick, and the font is beautiful, and you look at it, and you say, oh, that is so very Emily. Thank you. Yeah, I actually had to source those. Like, I I found out about this type of paper, and we can nerd out about paper really quick, because I <laughs> found out about this paper called Color Plan Paper, and it's made in the UK, um, and they don't really sell it anywhere here. Like people won't print on a colored cardstock. There's a couple of people that will do it, but it's quite expensive. And then there's letterpress and stuff and it just gets like crazy. And I found this, this um, printing company in like the countryside of the UK who's, who prints foil on color stock or color plan paper. And I was like, Oh my God, I have to have, once I found out that that was an option, I was like, I have to have this. <laughs> so, um, so I actually ended up getting them shipped to my brother's office. He, he works in London. And I like, when I went to Rotterdam, I picked them up. It was, it was a little bit, I'm like, well, I'm going to have to do a reorder soon, but I have to give them some advance so I can actually get them over here. Um, but Well, and I felt so fortunate that there happened to be two of those business cards in there. I mean, 
when it comes to paper goods and quality paper goods, you know that that cost just keeps going up. Um, And so the fact that I had two, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I might have to become a bookmark. I'm thrifty. I've I found a way. So um, please enjoy. Give them to your friends and, and I'll send you some more if you need them. But um, I, lo- I love branding. I love paper. I love color. I love I love everything about creating a world surrounding an idea. And um, this has been it's so much fun for me. I'm actually, g- exciting news, I'm moving into my own studio space here in LA. We, <laughs> we just got the keys. I'm, it's, um, I'm sharing with another... Um, entrepreneur. She is a prop stylist. She does um, prop styling and set design for editorial work. And um, she's she's really cool. And so, uh, yeah, we're going to be setting up um, a functioning studio where I can make um, thousands of mugs <laughs> or bowls or whatever. Yeah. You have beautiful skin. When you were on set with us, our makeup artist co-signed that fact. It's tough when you're on camera and all the lights and everything. And so, to make sure that you still have that good, dewy, supple skin, what are three beauty products that you like to use to keep that situation going? Well, um, first first thing, of course, I feel like everybody says this, um, but it's super, super important is, is SPF. I put um, a for, SPF 40 BB cream on every morning, um, no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm going out for a hike or not, um, just because sun damage is just like, it just dries your skin, especially living in LA. I didn't realize until I moved out here that New York, you actually protect your skin for such a long period of time by not being out in the sun for the winter months. Um, so that's been like super, super important. Um, I also like have a whole bedtime regimen where I have to, like, I use a really mild cleanser. I use Dr. Jart products a lot. Um, Mm-hmm. So that's the BB cream I use as well. So I do make sure that I really do like a thorough cleansing. And then I, I use this, um, incredible scrub. It's called, it's eminence. There's, um, this, it's like a lactic acid, strawberry root or, or rhubarb. Um, dur- it's like a exfoliant basically. Um, and it's like rice powder. It's so amazing. And you can use it every day because it's really gentle. And so that's like number two. So sunscreen, the exfoliant. And then I also use retinol, which is like, yeah, the best (laughs) for multiple reasons. Yeah. I always tell people that it's all about preventative beauty. Don't wait until things go off the rails before you do something. Stay on it when it comes to your beauty routine. Yeah, I'm just I I, you know, I remember having this chat before I turned 30. I went to my dermatologist and I was like, "Hello. I do this is what I do for a living. My face is my everything." Um I was like, "I don't ever want anybody to put a needle in my face. I I just I can't and I don't and I I love my face. I love the way that it looks. I like the way that it's aging and how do I make sure that I'm not ever like in a position where, you know, so so we've come up with like a long-term plan and retinol was right in there with it. And I love it. Well, you know, when I hit my thirties, I started changing up my beauty routine and I started adding retinol into it. When I approached 40 in September, that was another time where I began adding new things in. Girl, keep doing what you're doing. Looking good. <laughs> I mean, it is all about staying hydrated, getting sleep, diversifying my beauty routine for sure. You know, and thankfully, yes, I have good genes, but these genes can always use some extra help. Lots of water. And sleep as well. I think sleep is like so important. 
You know, I'm so sad that this is my final question. You know, I was a fan before I met you as I love your work. And then through our interactions on set, Instagram, email exchanges, etc., I love that like me, you're a person who does a number of things and that they are received well because you're so passionate and dedicated to your craft. Who are three women that have inspired you, that have assisted you in being where you are now? Hmm. Wow, that's such a hard question because I feel like I've... Um, I've been so inspired by so many women in my life. Um, I guess I would start with like my, um, my, like the matriarchs of my family, my mother and my grandmother, um, they, you know, just have so given me such a, um, incredible sense of self that I, that I carry with me. Um, I've never, you know, I think it's, now that things are sort of coming up and we're exploring gender and, and particularly women, how women, you know, behave in society and the things that are sort of innate. It, I've, I never had uh, the experience where it was, you know, pointed out to me that I was a girl, you know, I, it didn't, it was not, I was never inhibited by that. Um, and I think that's just purely by osmosis of the examples that I had in front of me, you know, from my, my great grandmother who I, spent a lot of time with, um, she came over from Croatia through Ellis Island in like the early 1900s. And, um, that was always, the tone was like the, these incredibly strong women who like just forged ahead and, and did, you know, what felt right. And, um, so definitely that definitely like my family, um, line of, of women. Um, and I would say like my, I guess my, my ballet teacher growing up, um, definitely had quite an influence on me. Um, and gosh, I, my best, my best girlfriend, every time I talk to her, I, I like come away from a conversation going, okay, I have, uh, I have an ally out there, you know, cause sometimes I guess sometimes as a woman, you, you feel like the world is out to get you in some ways and, you know, just, just by default, just, you know, in general, um, we're always at odds with, with society in some way. And whenever I, whenever I talk to my friend, uh, Caroline, we just like walk away empowered. You know what? I love that as you can have some really good days and then you hit that doozy and you just need that sister friend that you can just talk to and get back on track. They're going to listen, do a little, you know, commiseration, and then they're going to tell you how it is and that it is what it is. And that they still love you. Yeah. And we're like, and we're doing, we're doing the same thing. Like you're never alone in this, which I think is what can be so isolating about, um, about the, the climb as a woman trying to do your own thing. You know, if you make the choice to sort of like, um, yeah, sort of beat the odds in a way you're, you're consistently going to come up against these, these snags, but you're not alone in it, you know? Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Bungalow SK. Make sure to follow, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow and listen on additional podcast platforms, including Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Himalaya, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Premium. Bungalow SK is a member of the Multimedia Podcast Network, Athleisure Studio, part of Athleisure Media, and Athleisure Mag. You can see our show notes at athleisurestudio.com backslash bungalow hyphen SK and follow us on Instagram at bungalow.sk to find out who we're talking with as well as what our guests are up to. Bungalow SK is executive produced by myself and Paul Farkas with sound editing by the Athleisure Studio team. Our music is courtesy of Icon 
Sometimes 8 with Forever T performing Renaissance. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith, and I'll see you next week at Bungalow SK. 